Welcome to episode 86 of the Cloud-Based Mayhem. This continues to kind of blow me away. Uh, before we get into the show, a few things of housekeeping. Uh, one, got quite a bit of feedback, all good, uh, about the last show, my opener, about uh, the accidents and what was going on in Valle and uh, what I thought were some of the reasons. Uh, it's just my opinion, of course, but uh, one of the things I talked about, I felt like maybe required a little bit more expansion because I've gotten some emails about uh, people felt like I should dig into that more. Uh, wing choice. I said that I saw a lot of people flying wings that I thought were well above their level. Um, I think that contributed to the accident ratio and uh, and also contributed to quite a bit of sketchiness in the gaggles. You know, we had 130 people on start every day and actually, sorry, 150. And uh, a lot of the people that were flying wings that I felt were a little bit above their level were spending a lot of time looking up at the wings instead of looking around, which makes gaggle flying a little bit scary. And uh, But one of the things I didn't talk about too much was just your own mental bandwidth. Um, you know, when you're flying a wing that's, you know, you maybe don't feel like you've got the hours, you, don't, you haven't had the SIV. Um, anyway, a wing that's definitely above where you personally are. Um, you don't have the bandwidth to, you know, A, relax, which is really important to fly well, but also just to be, you know, observing everything around you, smoke and wind in the valley and thermals and birds and other pilots. And, you know, the more relaxed you are and the more, you know, non-stressful uh, the, the flying is or the wing that you're flying is, um, the more confidence you have in your gear, the more confidence you've got in yourself and you're just going to fly better. So I um, wanted to kind of add that, just be thinking about that. I think the temptation is, you know, that you when you go to these races and, and all the crew that's on the really hot wings, you know, they go on glide and it's just impossible to keep up. But there's a lot of satisfaction to be had in flying a lower level wing and flying it really well. Um, you know, like I said in the last time, like like kayaking, you know, you really shouldn't be kayaking class four until you're nailing every eddy in class three. And that's how I kind of think about this. So, um, I mean, I think back to my own progression and, you know, I was told over and over and over again, like, hey, man, you're flying, you know, you really got to back off. You're taking too much risk. But, you know, the first time I went to an END, I'd been flying for uh, many, many years at that point. Uh, this was 2011. Uh, I went from an Arctic to an Ice Peak 6. Uh, that was definitely a big jump. I'd gotten into a, a World Cup. I got invited to fly here in Sun Valley at the PwC in 2012. I'd only done one comp before that. So yes, that was a big jump. But I had, you know, several, at least two and a half thousand hours at that point. I'd done a whole bunch of SIVs, five, six, seven with Jockey and Santa and a bunch of people, a lot of training over the water, a lot of acro training, um, and I'd been flying a ton. I mean, I think that year I got almost 500 hours before I made that jump. So just in that year. Um, so I'm not saying to follow what I've done by any means, but um, I was surprised. I was surprised how many people were flying two liners, uh, how many people had made really big jumps, um, how many people had not been flying that long and were flying. What I see is pretty hot wings. Uh, you know, the Xeno for a two-liner is certainly a very stable wing, as, as is the Peak 4. 
by Niviak, but they're still two liners. So anyway, just another uh, shout out there about you know respecting these wings and and uh, thinking about the choice you're making. Um, the other thing I'm seeing a lot of, and I appreciate Trevor mentioning this. Uh, we had a nice email exchange. Um, a lot of people are switching to the lightweight gear, which is great. You know, the lightweight gear is fantastic, and uh, I think the XLS has driven a lot of that. But typically, when you switch to lightweight gear, you're also giving up a seat board, which we've talked about quite a bit. Um, I think for sure, uh, handling your wing is better with a seat board, um, and you're also giving up a lot of protection, uh, no matter what. When you go to this light stuff you know, you're just not going to get the back protection. So, you know, for hiking out and for hiking flies, it is fantastic. But just, you know, remember what you're giving up. It's all, it's all, a, you know, there's a lot of give and take there. Um, it's all a compromise. Uh, you know, even going to a pod harness, I know they're sexy and I know they look cool. And, but if, you know, they're more demanding, you know, they're more, you're more likely to get twisted up in a pod harness, uh, you know, and for, not a lot of benefit you know there is some for sure uh, if you're doing a lot of racing then yeah for sure but uh be thinking about that as well i think a lot of accidents you know they they could be avoided at least a bit or a lot of the damage could be avoided quite a bit by just flying safer gear uh greg hammerton with fly bubble who's been on the show put up a great uh uh, Facebook post that uh, that's you'll find in Cloud-Based Mayhem if you just go to Cloud-Based Mayhem on, on Facebook and do that search. He put up a great little uh, write-up about light gear that I highly recommend checking out. Uh, one more bit of housekeeping. I am pretty seriously consider, considering moving us from Patreon to our own uh, subscription service on the website. Now, we've put a lot of effort into Patreon. We've got a lot of Patreon supporters. This would be a kind of a big and somewhat risky move uh, in terms of, you know, I, I would really want everybody to transfer over. Uh, a lot of you that listen to other podcasts probably heard about, there's been a bit of a debacle there with Patreon with free speech. Uh, they banned quite a few uh, what are considered kind of alt-right or very conservative artists. Uh, I don't want to get into that debate whatsoever. I mean, I think that there's, uh, you know, free speech versus, you know, uh, hate stuff and alt-right. I mean, yeah, yeah, anyway, I don't want to get into that. Uh, I think free speech is really important, but I also think that, you know, maybe there shouldn't be platforms for, for crazies, but I don't know any of these folks that were banned. I don't listen to any of their stuff. I don't have an opinion on that whatsoever, but uh, I do read our exit surveys and the big one that that tends to, you know, people sign up and they stay with us for a little while. And then especially the folks that aren't based in the U.S., they're paying quite a bit of tax and they're, they're the fees through Patreon. So in other words, the money that gets to me um, is quite a bit less through them than other routes like PayPal and stuff. So, and PayPal is still pretty big for fees. So I know all of you that are listening to the podcast that want to support it, you know, you want the money to go to the creator. You want it to go to us and not to these platforms. So, um, we've looked into options. There's, there's some other platforms They they cost me money, but they would cost you very little. Um, and I think that's going to, you know, in the long run, that's going to be the better way to go because Patreon for us, really, we keep growing our numbers, but the amount of support kind of stays the same because a lot of people will sign up at 10 or 20 or five 
And then after a few months, they realize that, you know, they're looking at the receipts going, well, not a lot is, you know, some of this is, is too much of this is getting taken away. Again, especially if you're not in the States. And most of our listeners are not in the States. They're mostly Europe, Australia, New Zealand, other parts of the world. So uh, I think this is a good move. If you don't like this idea, uh, get a hold of me, come through the, the website, just send me an email and maybe, maybe you know of something else that works better. But um, I'm going to be basically following what I've seen a lot of other artists do, like Sam Harris did recently. He, he chucked Patreon and uh, you can just now subscribe through his site which I've done and a lot more of the money goes to him and uh, and I'm basically going to follow the same. They're basically just plugins for WordPress. We can do our own credit card processing. There are fees there, but they're a lot less uh, and in some cases less than, Patre- than PayPal as well. So I think this is a good solution. It will only work, of course, if all of you that are on Patreon switch over, but I'll update this more on the next show. It's going to take quite a bit of work, IT stuff in the background, but I think we can make it happen and I think it's going to be a, a much better solution for for everybody. We just want to make sure that that transition is smooth. Let's get into the show. Uh, this was recorded again live down in Columbia. I'm now back home now. That's why the sound here is better, but the, uh, the sound for the show is going to be filled with birds and dogs and other stuff, other Colombian background noises. But as always, Miles has done his magic and uh, it won't be too bothered with that. But I sat down with Annalena Henestroza, uh, Ernesto's wife. They just had a little baby. Uh, you all know their names. Uh, Ernesto and Annalena have been crushing on the uh, comp circuit for an awfully long time. Ernesto's one of the just—he's just fantastic. He's got so much personality. I loved flying with him the last couple of weeks down at the British Open. Uh, Anna Elena had the had the child duties for this one. They go back and forth on that. So we talk about you know how things have changed once you have a baby, uh, but we talk about her. Uh, predilection for flying three liners instead of two liners and she crushes on those so that's pretty fun um and i also asked her a question that i've asked other uh other of our women guests on the show about you know what she thinks there you know why are there so few women in the sport um and i threw one at her that i think kind of got her and she wasn't really able to answer here so i wanted to answer live and she thought about it after we stopped recording and I'd like to just maybe fill in those blanks. I hope I do it justice. But uh, basically, I said I, I compare. I said, well, you know, do you have to be a really strong, independent woman to be a paraglider? And I brought up some some people like Isabella that, you know, that to me are who is we've also had on the show who are, you know, really strong. Uh, strong-minded women and I thought you know is that one of the factors is that you know is that requisite for being a woman pilot um and it kind of stumped her and she thought about it and and I don't think she really uh liked her answer at this point I don't remember what it was but I remember we talked about it afterwards and she said you know I'm just a regular woman so no I don't think so um I think you know it's just it's just the numbers and it's just the the reality of it and the risk and you know maybe having kids certainly has a factor in that adele had some great thoughts on that um that's also a great show go back and check that out so uh anyway i don't think we really came up with a very good answer um i, I think it was it was one that kind of stumped annalena i don't have an answer either uh one to explore with future shows but i just wanted to uh let you know that we did talk about that afterwards and yeah didn't really come up with a with an answer but uh, 
great gal and uh, awesome pilot and super inspiring. And it's really fun to meet their little kid who they're taking all over the world. These guys travel a ton to fly. And uh, I was really inspired by this. So I think you're gonna enjoy this talk. So without further delay, please enjoy Annalena Henestrosa. Annalena, thanks so much for coming on the mayhem. We're going to be uh, bombarded here with construction and trucks and chickens and roosters and very Colombian noises, but I think this will be fun, but I appreciate the time. Um, thank you for the invitation. Yeah. It's like typical Colombian morning. The mornings are great here. Yeah, they are great. Yeah, well, we've had our coffee and our orange juice. So we're all ramped up and ready to go. Uh, where I thought we'd start, I just kind of throwing this out. You, you're you're unprepared, but um, tell me your your most favorite flying story. What comes to mind when you think about flying? And it doesn't need to necessarily be yours. It could be Ernesto's, your husband's, or something else. But you know, I know you you learned in Venezuela. Uh, but what's it? What's it? What's something that comes to mind when you think about flying that you want to share? You know, I had one perfect flying day, I remember, out here in Colombia in 2015, I remember. And it was just such a typical, beautiful, emotional day. Um, at first, we went up to Los Tanques in this bus. How is it called? Chiba. Mm. This open, colorful bus. And already the ride up to takeoff was an adventure. And on the ride up... I saw in the forest a toucan, a really beautiful bird I really like. Mm. And just seeing this toucan was such a good experience, I don't know. And then I had a really beautiful flight, obviously. obviously. And yeah, with the flats, turmeling with the birds, everything perfect. It was just such a nice flight. And in the end, I landed close to a papaya field here close to Rolanillo. Mm. And I don't know, just landing there, I I saw a huge blue butterfly. I love also, I know this from Venezuela already, it's just such a beautiful butterfly, brilliant, blue, and you really barely see it. And yeah, that was such a perfect, you know, um, experience as well. It's just, everything was in, in the flow. And after I had packed my my paraglider, a lady came from the farm to help me to get out, to, to get the right way. And um, she gave me a papaya. She just handed it over to me. And at home, having this papaya, it was the best papaya I ever had. Uh -huh. <laughs> it was so perfectly, yeah, the, this fruit. And this was a, like a perfect flying day for me, you know, not mm. just in the air, but also on the ground. And, you know, when you feel the connection with nature and, yeah, all the beauties that are out there, I really remember. The cloud flying here is extraordinary, oh, isn't it? It's yeah. just unbelievable. I had some some moments yesterday just surfing up the sides of these clouds and just kind of in and out of the mist. Yeah. It was just, ugh. You're right. Especially also in competition flying out here in Colombia, when you are waiting for the start one hour, cloud surfing, yeah. soaring the clouds, getting yeah close, feeling it. This yeah, you really can see them out here. You can see the clouds forming. It's it's special. Yeah, it is special, isn't it? Yeah, no, it's really nice. 
Um, we talked a little bit before we were hitting the record button on how you got into flying. Can you share that story again in, in Venezuela and meeting Ernesto and all that? Of course, sure. It's been, for me, it's been quite a long way to become a pilot. I met my husband in 2007 in Venezuela. He used to be a tandem pilot. And yeah, we flew a lot tandem by that time. I used to live there for university exchange. And yeah, he took me, he took me a lot to fly around all Venezuela. I loved it. I wanted to become a paraglider. But actually, he did tell me that he won't learn me how to fly before I stop or before I finish university. Because he said, you will be too addicted to <laughs> go on with your career. <laughs> so from then on, yeah, we've been tandem flying and we started ground handling a lot. Also because of, yeah, money-wise, it was difficult to become a, a together equipment. So for the next year and a half, two years, we've been practicing a lot on the ground together. He showed me a lot. But in the end, um, yeah, we, we, we took every possibility in Germany, every little um, field that was, yeah, was good to do some practice. And yeah, in the end, after finishing my career, we went back to Venezuela in 2009. And there I became a, a pilot doing my first flights from altitude. And was that in Caracas? Um, close to. You know, there's um, a German village called Colonia Tovar. And okay. um, in between there and Caracas, there's a famous flying spot called Placibel. Hmm. There's... Uh, that's the space at uh, the spot where my husband also started paragliding. And in the end, he didn't want to give me the final degree. And his instructor, Orlando Leighton, famous um, teacher from Venezuela, he, he um, finished my degree with the, with the altitude flights over there. One of the uh, coolest landings I ever saw was in Valle. A bunch of us tried to cut the corner on the convergence. Uh, I think this was in like 2013. It was a World Cup somewhere. And uh, and Carlos came in. He bombed out with us. And uh, and he, he would like, you know, I've seen flapping. And this was like flapping at a whole nother level. Like he would basically tail slide almost the glider and then let it go and then tail slide and let it go and just helicoptered like a helicopter just landed around the ground and i was like carlos man that was amazing what where did you learn how to do that he said ah flying in caracas because all the fields are, are surrounded by fences and barbed wire and all this stuff and it was man he had impressive landing skills this was this was before i got into the x alps and i was like i need to learn how to do yeah. that that is impressive that's oriporto it's a flying site directly in in the city of Caracas. Mm. I think they're not flying there anymore, but they got a new one. And actually the site where I learned to fly, Placibel, it's also, it's a tiny valley and you you have a mountain rib in the middle where you take off and the landing is just a couple of hundred meters. It's not much, maybe 300 meters down. And the landing is like a top landing spot. And you mm -hmm. also have fences and you get huge um, active terminals at that place so you really get you, you really learn to to top land in a thermic area right wow, but it's the official landing because uh, further down um, where they used to land um, before it got, got all constructed so there's 
barely no landing left. So you need to make it back up actually wow, to land exciting. in this place. And I remember there we've been competing a lot in this space, in this area. Many times you also make just like slope landings mm -hmm. if you don't reach this top landing, official landing anymore. Right. Yeah. Wow, good good X-Alps training. <laughs> I had, at the in the first years of my career, I had really good good exercise and, yeah, for, for takeoff and landing, I remember. Now, um, yeah, the last years actually flying much more in the Alps, it's been becoming much, yeah, not easier, but yeah... Um, more official, I would say, like those perfect takeoff and landings we have over there. So the, the, were those first years, was most of the training, like you, when you learned how to fly and you're, you're flying solo now and stuff, was it mostly done in Germany or was it done in Venezuela? Because I understand you were kind of splitting your time. Yeah, we've been, actually, we've been traveling a lot all these last 10 years. Mm. So we used to spend summer in Germany, um, first in Füssen, in the Alpine side, and then in Garmisch, so there I've been flying a lot also and training a lot, but also it's been a time of much work. Mm. And then we spent the winters in Venezuela, in Venezuela, where I really had much more time for flying and we've, yeah, we flew all the time, just mm. like flight addicts. And also we spent um, one winter in Nepal, where we really got a lot of airtime. And were you doing any bivy in Nepal or were you mostly just flying there? And, um... Actually not. At that time I'm, I was not interested in to this and I was just so into cross-country flying. I started doing my first uh, cross-country flights and my husband was working as a tandem pilot so we got, yeah, we stick to, to Pokhara all mm. the time and yeah I, I made my my rounds around the green wall having all this also special experiences with the you know I don't know if you've if you've flown the green wall but there you you think you see a terminal the the trees moving and then when you get there you just um, recognize that there are monkeys you know Whoa, on the trees no and way. this is also such a special experience <laughs> over there but it works very well the green wall it's such nice move um terminals and it's perfect for landing because nepal there's almost no wind mm. for uh, in the air but also for landing and takeoff it's perfect for for beginners cross-country pilot yeah yeah i mean i think that's why beer's gotten so popular you yeah, know it's amazing you fly yeah. you fly into these deep mountains and there's no wind yeah. you know I'm, <laughs> it's just, I'm not where we where we're from we deal with a lot of wind in the rockies and it's it's just the first time i went there i was with uh eddie and john and and jim uh the the himalayan sky safaris guys from the uk and uh and following following john sylvester around was like we're going to go in there? What are we yeah. doing? You know, and then it would, there wouldn't be any wind. It was just amazing. Yeah. It, Nepal is similar in, yeah. in terms of the, the lack of wind. Yeah. It's just a bit more, it's, it's more easy because the mountains are not that. Not as big. That big, yeah. you know? Yeah. It, and it's more open. I remember also for landing, beer is great. But I really felt like small going into this big, deep mountains. Although it, it's working, yeah. As you say, there's no wind and the thermals are are there, mm -hmm. so it's working. But it's you feel like really small in this big mountain. <laughs> 
And how did you get into, how did you get into com- competing? And if we're skipping some big aspect, take me there. But um, when did you start competing and how did that all happen? In 2012, in Nepal, actually. Okay. Our friends, Jessica, Isabella, and so the American girls, <laughs> yeah. Jamie Messenger, they actually, they took us to Nepal to live there. And we know them from Germany because in Germany we used to live at the same summer flying site. They took us to Nepal and then we, we already spent there a couple of months, me training my XC. And then there was this Russian Open, Russian Open and after the Nepal Open. And they said, yeah, come Annalena, you can do that. Join us. I had at that time, yeah, sea glider. I just got new. And that's how I started to compete. You know, they showed me everything and it was just a great experience. All our friends were around and it was fun. It was huge fun, great fun. Learning learning under the uh, the guidance of Jamie Messenger is uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's 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 pretty valuable. Yeah. <laughs> that guy's a Jedi. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Amazing. Great pilot. Yeah. Incredible, yeah. Great pilot. Fantastic. And so, and you liked it. Yeah. You enjoyed competing. Yeah. Okay. It was fun. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it, I could learn so much and enjoy so much. And we were all together and having a good time. And after we went all back together to Germany and there were the next competitions, weekend competitions, league competitions. And all German, of us. German mm-hmm, competitions. Yeah. So all of a sudden... We were into competition. <laughs> You're, you, you said you were in near Garmisch. Um, so is Vank your, your main, the main site? Actually, yes. Vank, especially in spring and autumn. And then Osterfeld is called the other side. So we are directly in Garmisch living there. Mm. You know from the exhaust. Yeah, of course. Yeah, no, <laughs> the well. Zugspitz. Yeah. yeah. So we have quite a couple of takeoffs around. That line between Ashau and, and Lermus is Oof. unbelievable. It is so spectacular. It's just amazing in there. You just, you're in like such a, such a, uh, I mean, you're in a part of the Alps where there's lots of people, you know, in, in, in Garmisch and Ashau and Kimsi and that whole area. And then you get into those mountains and you feel like you're in the end of the world. Yes. There's not much in there. And it's really and it's, difficult to fly there. Yeah, huh? it's Ooh, true. It's tough. It's, it's tricky. It is really neat, though. It's you, beautiful. You know, there's this huge area. It's called Carvende. It's really special. It's a, um, it's a protected area. Um, yeah, that's why also, you know. Yeah. It's it's a beautiful protected area in the middle of the, the Alps. Yeah, it's, it's also re- great for mountain biking, hiking, everything. I'm sure. Yeah. Ah, it's a gorgeous area. They, I'd, I'd love to talk to you guys at some point about, you know, there, there seem to be some pretty interesting convergence lines that set up through there too and with the Bavarian winds coming in and then yeah. depending on the time of the day. But I have often had a lot of trouble with that transition between the the there's a big mit, mitter, top, mitter something. Um, so just east of Garmisch, there's a little town at the base of those big, rock, you know, those big mountains. Mm-hmm. And from there to the Zugspitze, I've often had a really hard time with that transition. And Kriegel just nails it every yeah, time. And, but, you know, we've been watching Kriegel from ground and he's done some flights, lines nobody else has done before there. You yeah. know, first of all, because I remember at the last or the... Yeah, don't know which except if it's been four years ago or more. It's been lot of lots of west wind. Yeah, that much west wind that we usually wouldn't take off. 
and seeing Kriegel coming into Garmisch, jumping from back there where's no landings from the Rheintal and then just being at the right spot at the right time where That's at the magic. end of the day there's still a little bit of sun um, hitting the, the rocks and then managing to just fly around this uh, Zugspitz. Yeah. Massive. So it's been woof, crazy. And it's really, yeah, it's really not easy um, this part because you can take the south um, rocks um, just to the south of Garmisch, the Wettestein. But then there was the rule you have to um, to fly around the or go around the Zugspitz on the northern side. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then in between this Karwendel I told and the Garmisch um, um, rocks and mountains, there's like a a part, a valley that is not easy to connect because it's really wide. You've seen between yeah. the Wank and the Wettestein, so it's not easy to take the right route and yeah. most pilots have been walking yeah no, <laughs> i've done plenty of walking in there <laughs> yeah and and the weather is also tricky you know tricky. to get to get a good day yeah it's, hmm. it can be a really tricky area but man it's beautiful that's yeah. a nice part of the world to train i'm sure to fly and yeah. to also to also live um cool so you start competing uh you you're enjoying that you're doing league back in in uh in germany Let's wait for this truck to go by. When does UP come into the equation, and and uh, is that years down the road here? Or, you know, when actually, I guess take me through some more of your progression. Actually, coming back from Nepal in 2012, um, we went back to our summer place in in Füssen at that time, and I've been doing many different works for a couple of years after university. I've been working with tour operators in South America helping yeah with with translations organization I've been working in a climbing area like a climbing park I've been working in the flying school my husband was working as Teldenham pilot I've been working as a um, waitress mm. I've been many different things just to to get money and to keep on traveling but coming back from Nepal, there was just such a point that I didn't want to anymore. I had a, a job that is, was really hard and I just decided to quit. Mm. Like a waitress, that was my main income. And I just decided to quit and was searching for something new. It was not, not really um, easy because this little village, yeah, there was not so much work offer for me as professional. So I thought going into hotels or whatever or keep on with the flying school, etc. And then by chance, coming back from Nepal, I wanted to change my glider and I got a Trango, UP Trango. Um, and I really fell in love with this glider. And... <clears throat> To afford it, I, I asked the company uh, how we can do, if I can pay in parts or whatever. I really liked the wing, I wanted, but then I just quit my, my job. And by chance, they told me, yeah, UP is searching for hmm. professional. Ah. <laughs> and I thought, oh, that sounds nice. Maybe you want to have my documents. And I sent my documents to UP. Um, and... A couple of days later, I was starting working there. 
Wow. So, and then we moved to Garmisch. Is, is UP in Garmisch? Yeah, UP is the headquarters in Garmisch. Oh, wow. So in 2012, I started working with them since hmm. now. <laughs> wow, cool. Yeah. Um, and then are, are you involved in the development side at all or what what, what, no. what do you do for them? No, no. Um, I, I'm doing now marketing and international sales. Okay. So right now I'm, I'm working less. I'm working part-time. Um, after I had the baby, I quit for a while and came and just came back in September this last year, 2018. And yeah, I've been doing a bit of everything, but mostly office work, of course. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I met managing the team pilots, the German-speaking team pilots, doing the marketing thing. I'm the contact person for the magazines. I'm yeah with the web page, social media, etc. And in contact with all the UP dealers and importers worldwide. Mm. Yeah. Sounds sounds fun. I yeah, bet it's, it's interesting to see like, it from that side of the fence. You know, it's been like my dream work. Oh, cool. And yeah, paragliding, you, since I started paragliding, life was just moving. It's been in a good flow for sure. There's been difficult. Um, times as well as always but it's been in the total paragliding direction i would say and i love my work yeah was your has your travel all these years with ernesto and now your baby um is it all been is it all pretty much oriented around flying is it always flying trips you guys are going to do or it sounds like more it's it's not really so much trips it's more living you go to a place you live for a while yeah yeah it's been always around paragliding, mm. you know. We first we we went for a long time to Nepal, to Venezuela for the whole winter. Then, as I started to to work with UP, it became a bit less or shorter times, but still always with paragliding. And we start to fly World Cups. Mm. So we went to India, Brazil, Mexico for World Cup. So it's been competition combined with flying, but for a couple of years in between, I would say 2013 to 17, it's been World Cups mostly. And now we we are coming back for longer times to pass winters in Colombia, and, mostly. And, and has there ever been, um, you know, like a maybe a, a difference in the passion between you and Ernesto, and you know, there have been times where maybe he's not as excited about it, or you're not as excited about it, or how does it work quite well with you guys all the time, or is it? Are there times where it's like well, I don't know? No, it's been working well all the time. Wow, actually. great! It's just now I stopped competition thing two years ago. I did my last competition here in Colombia in 2017. And then um, with our baby, actually, we, we kept on traveling a lot in Europe as well as in the winters. And now I'm joining him to the competition. Ah, and you stopped competing because you got pregnant? Yeah. Okay. Um, and then do you see yourself getting back into it? Actually, I'm not sure. Yeah. You know, I'm not sure. I'm really enjoying flying. I've been flying all this time. After my baby was born, I started to fly again six weeks after, but I then flew a low B glider for a while because yeah, it's just been more easy, lightweight equipment, eight kilos, it's been perfect. Yeah. So I, I wasn't thinking about competition flying and I just got back on my trango um, here in Colombia now. 
two weeks ago and I fell in love on <laughs> the first flight. I was a bit scared or, or yeah, I was curious how it would be to get back and I, I was just, yeah, happy. Mm. But I feel this life is now so busy with all this family thing and the baby and I'm not really thinking about competition, to be honest. It's, I'm not missing it, you know? Mm. For sure, I can imagine coming back, back, but I don't know when. I see in World Cups, in World Cups, I've seen many women that have already grown up, um, kids yeah. or women, men that are, yeah, much older than me or that are already in their 50s, 60s. So I think there's no hurry to come back. If I would enjoy, I can come back after the nice now, thing about whatever. This sport, yeah, the sport is great. You can enjoy it all your life, you know. Yeah. But you need to be calm and be honest to yourself and and keep it safe. So you have a little boy, 16 months old. Uh, do you do you see what's his name? Lucas. Lucas. Do you see him becoming a pilot? Might be. You know he. He's already climbing a lot and interested into the sky. But yeah, I'm not sure. It's it's difficult to see. But two days ago we went out to of the uh, to the balcony of our, our apartment in in Raldanillo and he before I could see he already saw um, a glider landing in the stadium and he said Papa Papa so I, he's really recognizing it already and he's been at the landings the whole summer we spent with the bicycle going to the landing home and he's been seeing and watching gliders all the time mm. so the the in, as a mom um, the the risk side of it you feel like that could be managed and uh this is really on my mind right now because there's been so many accidents this year and it just seems like i don't know it seems like that's every year but it's uh i, I the reason i asked you is i have an 18 month old little girl uh oh, nice. so very similar well she was with us in Valle the last couple of weeks i was up there for a couple of comps and she, same thing she just she spots paragliders like birds she's just like ah, paraglider. she didn't say paraglider but uh she's definitely kind of figured it out and is enthralled by the whole thing and uh but I wonder. I, was, I it is. I think it's the kind of thing. If she shows interest in it, of course I will support it. But I was like, I wouldn't be too. But like, mom's not interested in it at all. I've taken her on a couple of tandems, and she's just like, yeah, whatever. And it was, it was always for me like, great, perfect. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the risk thing. Okay, I think before he would start paragliding, that would pass many years. Yeah. But the risk thing for me flying for sure it is there in my mind all the time and I'm really thinking about um, but to be honest I've been enjoying every single flight I've been doing since he was born mm. and it was good for me also mentally yeah I don't know I feel happy after flying mm. but I really feel that I need to be super careful and super careful also with my emotions and uh, with all the surroundings. Um, yeah, and to get sure about, first of all, conditions because, okay, the equipment, the equipment is checked, the equipment is good. That's not the problem, yeah. I think. But the conditions are the, is the, the thing, the conditions is what is 
um, yeah, I need to be most careful about. Like my last f flight here three days ago, it was really strong, really strong. It was, yeah, and I've heard about a couple of, yeah, um, incidents. And for me, uh, in this flight in the mountains, I, I really could not enjoy that much. And I was thinking yeah, what to do. And the people kept on going in the mountains and I just left to the valley alone. Because I said, you know, I'm, I'm not needing to make XC points or compete. I need just to enjoy this flight. And that's what I'm up um, in the air for and I left for the flats and it was a beautiful flight in the flats. It was really tricky conditions, um, um, really short cycles, um, inversion and I got a beautiful low safe in the middle of the valley. While I was there I was thinking, okay, I'm crazy, but I thought it's Yeah, no worries. There are huge landing spots everywhere. If I'm careful, I can land everywhere if I'm aware about that. The landing uh, is getting the most important part for me now yeah. to think about a good landing and where. But I thought, yeah, however, my baby is fine with his father and his uh, grandmother back home. So if it would take me to walk out two hours, It's big deal. No big deal. I can manage, and yeah, I, I, I just can land wherever I want. I just need to be really um, sure about a good landing. What, But, what do you mean by um, being careful with your emotions? You know, um, after having a baby, you get, for, in my case, you get really emotional about everything. Yeah. More than before, I feel. Yeah, you yeah. know, and paragliding is a strong emotion in all directions. Yeah, sure. You know, um, negative as well as positive and <clears throat> yeah it's strong emotion and also I need to I think I need to be careful because you can get so um, easily so addicted to paragliding so I try to calm myself down and to not go too far so I decided for myself the first cross-country flight I make here I, I made here I went to La Union and back and then the next one I made the bigger route to La Victoria, Sarcelle and back and I decided to to keep it going slowly uh, to become uh, to to fly more slowly because my friends were asking yeah why didn't you go on flying or kept on flying with us and I said yeah it's no need I need to get used again I need to build up resistance for flying I haven't been doing big cross country flights for years and so I really want to get into it slowly and not because I'm so yeah emotional or happy and um, by turning this great terminals to just keep on going without taking care about my energy level you know mm. that's it, what I mean about taking care about my emotions mm. to just realize that I should take it slowly you, you mentioned you, you spend a lot of time with Jessica Love and Isabella Messenger because you've spent all this time in Nepal um, I love them so much uh, <laughs> when I think of Isabella and Jessica I think of big strong personalities um, do, do you think that that's uh, the, the question I want to ask is why are there so few women in the sport and do you, do you think that uh, you know they it, the people like you that are strong and and uh, independent and what kind of woman is attracted to paragliding? Hmm. Well, that's a difficult question. I think I think many women 
could be attracted. It's just so important that you have a good start into the into the sport that you can feel you can manage and um, yeah, it's important to have lots of practice at the beginning, lots of practice, and that you feel you can you can do it. You know, it's it's a lot about you talk and think about the sport and the risks you know many without trying it just think it's dangerous you know and that's why they won't try it but i think you know there's so many um, business women out there running businesses or whatever so there could be more women running not running but paragliding mm. it's not that women could couldn't do that, but maybe they don't know they can do it. So it's a question for me, really difficult to answer. What kind of woman? Do Do you think that you you and not by just you? I mean, you and Isabella and Jessica and other women that are that are good in the sport and have had long careers in it and really enjoy it. Do you think you have a different kind of risk um, tolerance than? than most women, than other women? Or do you think it's more just that you know, for whatever reason you guys got into it with great partners maybe and that helped? Uh, for or... sure. Uh, the, you know, to have a partner that shows you that you can do it and that gives you the confidence is very important mm. actually for me. Um, yeah, to know you can do it. Mm. Maybe, maybe a problem also could be that still having so many men around in the sports um, can be for for women intimidating. You yeah. Know? Because we are taking another. Um, yeah, we are thinking maybe differently about flying risk. We are not that competitive, I think. Yeah. And they're, they're women competing really well. Sure. But, yeah, all this after flight, all this talking about flying, it's also different for women. The feelings, you know, we we are very emotional and um, it's not so much um, talking about who's better or yeah, battling each other, but it's more about the experiences we have yeah. out there. Yeah. That's interesting you say that. I, I follow Isabella on Instagram and it's uh it, it really is it seems to be more about the experience and the the I don't know, it's more of a holistic view I think that women have of it rather than the competition and the distance and the X contest and the you know, the the, the goals and the marks and the you know what I mean? It's uh yeah. men are very competitive. Yeah. More I, I guess. Yeah. I don't know. Um, but they're competitive women and they're great women out there competing. Sure. You know, last year's Super Final here in Colombia, there's been two women in top 10. Yeah. Ah, this was so awesome. That I'm was, so happy seeing them. That was them. awesome. That was yeah. awesome. Yeah. That so was we can compete and we can be great pilots and be there on top. But maybe it's just a different way to get into or to, yeah. Um, having. Having Lucas, mm -hmm. uh, has it changed your 
desire for the sport, your passion for the sport? Is it uh, what whether you, you talk about it, you talked about it making definitely you're assessing risk more conservatively, but have there been other changes? For sure, I'm not so crazy about flying anymore, to be honest. I feel like I need to get into the air every one in, in a while because it makes me, it, yeah, I relax. I, I can free my mind. I, I, after landing, I'm happy. I'm full charged again. But I'm not like, I, I'm not like I need to fly all the time. I don't have this feeling. I, I have a feeling of when everything comes together and the situation is perfect, I've got a babysitter or Ernestus on the ground or yeah, um, the conditions are perfect, the day is good and I have energy. I'm waking up or getting into the day with energy. Then I feel like, okay, now I go flying. But I don't have this feeling anymore of I need to fly, I need to fly more, you know? Mm. But I'm enjoying every single flight. Yeah. You, you said it's really important for um, women to get into it the right way. What does that mean? How, how, do, you, how do you get into the sport the right way? Um, slowly and without incidents, you know, and with confidence. And I think the most important is to do... Well, in my experience, I did lots of ground handling mm. for years, actually. And I think this is so important because watching the flying sites I've been living in Germany, Garmisch and also Füssen, it's just so tricky takeoffs. And I think if I would have done a, a classical um, career in a school, flying school, it might have been um, not enough for me because after a couple of days at the training hill getting up to these um, mountains and take off by myself I think I wouldn't have done it maybe you know because I think many women or pilots just start um, and then quit because they can't get the confidence and in my case I was really lucky because I had hours of tandem flying of cross-country flying of ground handling so my first um, altitude flight I made it um, backwards and I felt so confident about me handling the glider that I didn't think about oh I'm now flying from a high mountain you know mm -hmm. but if I think I would have done it after a couple of hours at the um, hill then forward launching into the first time into nothing I think I would have been scared mm -hmm. you know yeah so I think get, this get is that a, foundation yeah I think the sport is you can have a good um, you can manage the glider well and it's about technique and practice but yeah, for sure. The, the traditional um, school teaching is you get on a mountain quite quick and then I don't know how, how would be the feeling to, to take off then um, without having this glider control, you know? Mm. Mm. I don't know. What would you say... Um to, to a pilot, a, you know, a pretty new pilot that's, uh, that's maybe thinking about getting into competitions. Um, what, what would you say just in general about competitions? Uh, what to be excited about? What to be maybe a little more nervous about? What, what to be careful about? Maybe a little bit of uh, thoughts on equipment? 
Yeah, for sure, equipment is very, very important. Um, having the right glider. You can fly competition on a B glider and a C glider, so it's not important to have the, the machine. Um, to have the right equipment for your skills, um, harness is very important to the, the right combination of harness and, and, and glider and for sure rescue um, the instruments, everything, radio is important. I think for new competition pilots it's important to know what he, she wants um, with this competition flying. I think it's a great way to learn, to improve XC skills. Um, the most important thing is not to want to win. You know, by starting competition, that's not the thing. It's you need to learn, and there's so much to learn about in competition to to be um, efficient. That's what I like most about competition flying. This feeling of efficient flying. You know, climbing well, then um, knowing where to climb, when to climb, when to leave a climb, taking the right line to fly efficiently. That's how you fly faster. Huh? So. And you learn this by, yeah, by competing, by watching, by joining. You need to be very um, um, attentive. No, um, watching around. It's very important to be careful with that many pilots around and to be relaxed. Yeah. That's the most important thing. If you can relax terminating with so many pilots, you're all right. Yeah. If you feel nervous still by terminating with so many pilots, maybe you need to just practice more terminating and flying. But when you're that comfortable flying, terminating with many pilots, you can be in the competition and then just, yeah, um, slowly, learn slowly as always. There's so much time you have for flying. So slowly and then the first goal is to improve your flying. So it's not important to come into goal. The most important is always, as I said before now, um, is to have a safe landing yeah. after a safe start. So um, in competition flying, you can easily f get into this racing mode and forget about the landing. But you need to be careful about the landing spot. Yeah. So I, I had this... Uh very interesting. It wasn't really a realization. It's just something you know, but I, I, to see it visually every day uh, in, in Valle, Josh Cohn, uh, who's you know an amazing competition yeah. pilot and has been winning forever, uh, and is usually the one who's going to win Valle or the Menarca. I mean, he's 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 always at the top. Uh, this year, they they had a little baby a few months ago, and he was flying the Omega X Alps. You know, so. Most of the, you know, the, the top end comm pilots were on the Enzo and I'm flying the Evox now, but you know, most of the, the, the top 20, of course, top 30 were on CCC gliders and Josh was on a, you know, a pretty reasonable D and a three liner. And we, we really had a hard time shaking him, you know, I mean, that every glide you'd pull away and then he'd be there again because he's picking better lines and he's a better climber. And it made me a lot more conscious of, you know, what, what I see that has been frustrating me in the last couple of years is, is 
people that are coming up and getting better and going to comps, you know, they, they get frustrated by the glide difference. Uh, you know, if they're on a C or they're on a low end D and, uh, and they want to move up too fast and they, they see that and they go, ah, I got to get an Enzo, you know, and I got to get a better glider to keep up with you guys. And I, I think that's such a huge mistake because they don't have the hours, they don't have the time. And if you, if they had an Enzo, they're still not going to win. You know, they're, they've got a better tool, you know, they've got a, they've got a, you know, a better glider in terms of speed and glide, but um, they're still, they're not going to win. They don't have the experience and how you get the experience is, is like you said, is getting the hours and the time on a, on a lower end glider and getting really good, you know, becoming a Josh Cohn on another glider and being able to keep up. And then you've got the time and the, and the, you know, the SIV experience, the whole thing, you're, you've, you're a more complete pilot. And it, it's frustrating to me to see so many people coming up so quickly, you know, to, to a hotter glider that they're, really not ready for yeah but you know there are also a couple of um serial class competitions around you could try yeah. or you could um think about the flying sites because there are some flying sites that it's not so important um the 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 glider you know um hmm. yeah but usually Pilots want to be there for sure. It's it's not too nice always bombing out, you know, mm. or or it's frustrating as you, as you say, not to have the same speed and glide. But I remember my first comp here in Colombia in 2015. It was like that. I felt like okay, I'm on my triangle. I I didn't know anything about flatland flying because I'm used to the alpine uh, flying, and it was just like okay, I'm I'm here bombing out many times I, I don't understand but okay I keep on flying and then the last comp I've been doing in 2017 here it was the best comp of my life I still had my triangle mm. no I had a I changed from x-rays uh, from xc3 to x-rays so a bit better glider but still still a triangle mm -hmm. and I've, it's been two years in between, in between this comes and I just loved this competition and I, I had much more skills and I could keep off uh, keep on even with the Sinos at that time mm. you know I came into goal 10 minutes after and I was so happy because um, during the flight I could keep up quite well with them when, when it was a strong day with yeah. good conditions yeah. um, and then just on the yeah on the final part so in between these two years of experiences experience of competition flying the first year here in Com uh, Colombia bombing out all the time um, and then two years after keeping up with the Sinos on my tango it was yeah yeah that's a rewarding. Huge difference um but that's why it's worth it keep on going you know mm -hmm. yeah that's that that there's a lot of reward in that you know you're feeling like i am i'm doing yeah, better you i'm know, flying better you, you're learning all the time and you're you never stop learning and that's the the beauty of about the sport as well uh when you look back at your flying career uh if you could go back to your 50 hour self, you know, so you rewind to that first year and you're just learning and uh, you're very new. Um, if you could change anything, what would you change? 
I think um, the most important is to know when you're getting tired. I had two experiences, one in a SIV and one coming into goal in the competitions when I realized um, I was exhausted. So to know when to land and to know when to stop the day, you know. Mm. After five, seven flights in SIV, you just might be too um, tired to, to keep on um, to keep on flying. So there have been these experiences I had that I would say, yeah, calm down and just, yeah, again, slowly. Yeah, take Go it easy. Slowly, take it easy. And if you are exhausted, tired, stop for the day. In all your travels, uh, you guys wandering around the world for these last 10 years, 12 years, um, what's, what's the place you get most excited to fly? If you could go anywhere right now, I know you're in Colombia, which is one of your favorites, and that might be the favorite, but <laughs> right. where would you go? Uh, I would go to India again, beer. Yeah, beer is pretty special. Place. It's been, yeah, it's been great. But also Brazil. Mm. Brazil, we've been to Castelo, but again, it depends on the experience you have and the conditions you get at the time you are. We've been to Castelo in this year, I think 2016, and it's been perfect. It's been the other best comp of my life, mm. where I kept in the World Cup, where I kept up with the two liners quite well still. Um, because we had this bombastic conditions, beautiful um, place in Castello, flatlands again, and with this crazy hills, it's just... I've seen pictures, it's beautiful. It's, it's crazy, it's beautiful. And all the lifestyle people, food, it's been great. When you when you look back at your comp flying, um, was there a moment or a time that you can really identify that uh, you know you kind of made a leap, like like something clicked and something you know, like oh I'm, I figured this out. Was there was it a strategy change? Was it a thermaling technique? Was it finding sniffing out better lines? Was there was there something um, that you know like an aha moment in your in your comp career? Yeah, the line things. That's most important, I think. When I just the, what? the line flying, you know, when, flying lines. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. When I realized lines. what means flying lines, what everybody is talking about, you know, mm. or you yeah, had to use the accelerator right um, to to have efficient um, crossings, valley crossings, or line flying because it's quite easy to become a good. Um, or thermal flyer to be quick in climbing and on top of the stack and to be good positioned. But then um, the jump to become a good uh, navigation pilot, to navigate the sky, um, this has been quite a while to get this feeling um, under the glider to how, to how to fly out the lines, especially here in the flats, for example. To because if you also in the Alps, if you make a big um, valley crossing, just pushing the bar like crazy, losing all your height, no, uh, it's not working. You need to be to take the best line to to make the best crossing compared to the other pilot. 
this is something that um, I've never had a guest really be able to articulate how to do. Is there? Can you explain how to do that, or is it just feel? It's it's feel for sure. It's for sure different on a two-liner. I never flew two-liner. Um, so all my competition at World Cup flying, I did on a three-liner. Mm. But I did it because I enjoyed. For sure, there ha could have been the time then to change, but then I became a baby. But on the three-liner, it's, it's a feel you need to relax, to lay back in your harness and and feel and take the the C or B risers and then let the glider go, you know? Mm. Let the glider go and feel it and watch the clouds, the birds, the other pilots around and yeah. Yeah, I've 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 just I feel like I've had a kind of a personal breakthrough in the last year with with, with lines and it was for me it was backing off uh not hammering speed so much i mean especially in comps um you know in the x alps it's all about staying in the air you know you just have to stay up um but i've i've, I've learned more in the comps now to to back off a little bit on the on the lines because it's easier to feel when you're not using as much speed and it's easier to let the glider do its thing and um that that has really helped but i think that you know, when you when you see the pilots that really find good lines, it's 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 almost like magic. <laughs> yeah, there are some really birds out there. Yeah, some exactly. Pilots. Oof. Exactly. Yeah. My husband actually, I've been following him a lot and thinking, how can he do? How how is he doing? Or Xavier Bonnet. Yeah. Are many, there are many pilots to Chevy's name. Xavier's amazing. Ooh, yeah. He will be here. Yeah. Yeah. The next just, days. I'll, I'll be following him quite a bit i'm sure <laughs> if, I, if i can yeah he, he's amazing he's amazing um any last bit of advice for uh for specifically females um either getting into the sport or kind of at the learning stage you know any last bit of you know maybe something to avoid or something to look out for or you know like you talked about uh, and Isabella actually talked about that on the podcast we did with her the intimidation factor on launch is there are there any kind of headspace things that you can that have helped you yeah um do your thing and be confident with yourself you can do it um you don't have to show anybody um, practice a lot. Practice a lot on your glider um, skills, ground handling skills, and for sure there will always be moments um, or comments that can frustrate you or intimidate you. But no, don't take um, yeah, don't don't hear too much. And if you're not um, if you're not sure about something, ask the others. There are many women around. Um, ask them how they are feeling, how they are doing. Keep in contact. Um, make your um, yeah your flying group um, and and keep it slowly again and and think about think about um, what you really want. And enjoy, mm -hmm. and yeah, be honest to yourself. And if there's a moment you don't enjoy, think about how you can improve um, the situation. Great, 
Well, I think that's a perfect place to end. Uh, and Elena, thank you so much. I can't wait to compete with your husband next week. Are you, and are you going to do the comp? No, okay. I'll be on the ground. I'm okay. the ground support. The ground support. Uh, for sure, I will go to take off one day with, with my baby and yeah. uh, watch you. Awesome. I wish you a great comp. Thank you very much. Well, I appreciate it. And thanks for your time and the coffee and the orange juice. And, uh, <laughs> and yeah, we'll see you on launch. Thank you for your invitation. I hope you enjoyed that. Always fun to sit down with these great pilots in different parts of the world. Super inspiring. As always, all we ask for is a buck a show. If you're getting something out of the cloud-based mayhem, there are many ways you can support it, either financially uh, through PayPal and soon to be just directly through our website. We'll have details of that up pretty soon. Uh, but if you can't support us financially, we totally understand this will remain free as long as we can do it. Uh, but you can support it in many other ways. You can give us on a rating on iTunes or Stitcher or however you listen to your podcast. That really goes a long ways. Uh, you can blog about it on your own blog. You can... Uh, post about it on social media, share it with your friends, talk about it on the way to launch. I know many, many of you are doing that. I really appreciate it. And another way you can support us is through our store. We've just got a whole new load of awesome Patagonia t-shirts for men and women and a whole new box of super styly uh, trucker hats by Recaps. Each one is totally unique. Uh, got a whole bunch more colors that seem to be more in favor. Uh, so go to cloudbasedmayhem.com click on the store link and uh, get some cool swag. That's another great way to support the show. Um, but yeah, get behind us. You know, we're doing this directly just through you instead of sponsors because I just can't stand having that whole sponsor thing at the top of the show. And I want you to know that it's a authentic conversation and it's just opinions and they're not being skewed by advertising dollars, which I think is a pretty toxic uh, thing that's happening going on right now globally with all the stuff going on with Facebook and, and others. So anyway, we'd like to do it direct. We appreciate your support and we'll see you on the next one. Cheers. Mm-hmm.